0: also that's like not true tell that to the people in South Korea you know what I mean Um, I had it littered also with phrases that was like it's not a relationship, or wait, it's not a religion, it's a relationship, and it's like, that's also not true, like, Christianity is definitely a religion. Um, I understood the heart behind it, like, my heart was like, no, this is a relationship with Jesus, right? I had all of these things going for me. Um, I knew how to, like, check the boxes to say, like, yes, I'm doing the right thing, right? And um, I yeah, check the boxes of what it looked like to be a good Christian, and I honestly thought that that's what I was doing. I thought that I was following Jesus the best that I knew how, and I was. I had made my profession to follow Jesus all the days of my life by getting baptized. Um, I actually made the decision a couple different times because until probably like Until the last time I made the decision to get baptized, I just didn't know what it meant. And so by the time it came around to get baptized, or like we had like a baptism Sunday, I was like, oh, should I do this again? Like... I don't really know who could say. And finally, when I realized, like, no, I am declaring that Jesus is transforming my life, and I'm declaring that I am committing to follow Jesus all the days of my life. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this one more time because I know what it means. So for anyone in here, if you would like to get baptized, or if you're like, man, should I get baptized next week? Who could say? Uh, Talk about it with the Lord. But also, I would say, if you have gotten baptized, and you didn't really know what it, like, meant, or you didn't really know what you were doing, I would say consider it. It again um, but anyways i would pray a lot a lot of times i would pray that i'd be like kinder to my brother or different things like that like a better witness for jesus in school which are great things um, and honestly i thought i was doing just fine right on the outside i was i was serving in the church doing all these things but honestly on the inside i dealt with way too much pride I was like yep i got this like i don't really need jesus to continue transforming me because i grew up in the church i don't really have like a great faith journey because i just grew up here this is what happened um i honestly had a lot of anger i didn't know how to deal with my emotions and so i had a lot of anger towards my brother that i didn't know how to deal with and so a lot of times i would just shove it down and then like once or twice a month just get overwhelmed by that and just like explode and like yell at him. You know what I mean? Um, and I struggled, honestly, um, I struggled with masturbation for a couple years. Um, and I struggled with shame from that because I was like, I am like going to church. I'm, I'm praying. I'm reading scripture. Like, why is this a struggle for me? Right? And some of these things I didn't recognize. None of these things really bothered me too much because I had made it into the kingdom. I'd said yes to accepting Jesus in my heart, whatever that meant, right? Um, I'd made it into the kingdom. And so my theology of asking Jesus in my heart was that I made it into the kingdom, I said yes to Jesus, I've gotten baptized, but it was more based on my one decision to follow Jesus rather than what it would look like to live out the kingdom things. And how many of you guys have been there before? Maybe you um, knew the right thing to do, but you didn't do it anyways. Maybe some of you are wrestling with that right now. You're like, I know what I need to do. I know what I need to maybe give up. Or I know that I need Jesus to come and transform and make new. You're like, I know I need to give this up, but it just kind of seems impossible. It seems very hard, and it is hard to give some of these things up. Maybe you've gotten to the point where you said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to spend less time on social media. Like, that one, that one is too real, right? I have been there, done that. Um, or maybe I'm going to eat healthier, or I'm going to go to the gym more often. And you just don't make it to doing those things. How many of you guys have been there? I know I have many times. Um... Maybe there's something that the Lord is asking you to do, but you really don't want it because it means sac, you don't want to do it because it means sacrificing something. It might mean sacrificing um, future plans, it might sacrifice some time commitments, um, it might sacrifice some money. And this reminds me of the passage that we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to be ta- going, or we have been going through these different parables of Jesus. We've look at we've been looking at what the kingdom things are. We've seen that Jesus is taking all these different concepts and ideas about the kingdom and he says like you're thinking of the kingdom like this, but this is what it actually is. This is what your perception of the kingdom is but this is what the kingdom actually is. This is what I'm calling you to. And so tonight we're going to read in Matthew chapter 21 so if you have your Bible you can go ahead and start turning there. Um, does anybody need a Bible? By any chance, you can raise your hands. We'd love to get you one. Cool. Um, And so we're going to see in our passage tonight that even though we might say we're going to do something, it's nothing if we don't actually do that. We're going to talk about how the kingdom thing is an action, that faith without works is dead, that it isn't enough to simply just believe in Jesus and say, yes, I want to do this. We have to have action behind that. And so, just kind of a little bit of a background of the parable that we're going to be studying tonight and also to set us up for the next couple parables that we'll be talking about. This is the first of three what are considered confrontational parables. The parables um, are in response to the Pharisees and other religious leaders questioning the authority of Jesus. And so Jesus replies to their question by simply saying, well, what about John the Baptist? What authority do you guys say that John the Baptist came in? And they're like, well, we can't really answer that because if we say that he came in God's authority, then Jesus basically can say, okay, then why don't you believe me? But if we say that John the Baptist came in man's authority, the people around them, like all the people that followed them, would have been very angry because they're like, they believed that John the Baptist came from God. He was a prophet. And so they're like, ah, oh, who could say? And so these three confrontational parables, and this one specifically is Jesus' response to this. He's telling the Pharisees, like, you have it all wrong. It's not all about what you say you do. It's about what you actually do. And so tonight, we're going to go ahead and read uh, Matthew 21 in verse, we'll start in verse 28. Before we do that, I'm just going to go ahead and pray. Um, Jesus, I thank you so much for this time tonight. God, I thank you um, just for everyone that was able to come, everyone watching on Instagram Live, Lord. I pray that you would just speak to each of us individually, Lord. God, I pray that our hearts would be open to what you would have to say to us, Lord. Um, So we bless you. We bless this time. In your name we pray. So verse 28 says, "'What do you think? "'There was a man who had two sons. "'He went to the first and said, "'Son, go work today in the vineyard.' "'I will not,' he answered. "'But later he changed his mind and he went. "'The father went to the other son "'and said the same thing. "'He answered, I will, sir.' "'But he did not go. "'Which of the two did what his father wanted?' "'The first, they answered. So Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Ooh, what a passage, right? Imagine being these Pharisees, these religious leaders, and Jesus is saying this to you, and you're like, hold on. Like, what did you just say to me? You just said, did you just say that? Um, and so in this parable, Jesus is contrasting two groups of people. Those who assume that they have a right to their privileged positions. These are the religious leaders, the Pharisees and those who find themselves unexpectedly promoted, those who are despised by those in power, and these are the tax collectors and the prostitutes, or to broaden that, it's the the sinners, right? And so the thing that the religious leaders lack, among many other things, is humility. They're so focused on what other people think of them, about their outward appearance, that they miss the Messiah. They, they're waiting for the Messiah. They're like, we need the Messiah to come. And when the Messiah finally comes, they miss him because of their pride. Because they weren't willing to see Jesus as the Messiah. And they miss the transforming power of Jesus. And their actions don't follow their words. And so the other group of people, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners, actually have a chance at recognizing their desperate need for grace and forgiveness. And Jesus in this parable says this is what they did. They actually were able to be transformed because they allowed themselves to receive this. And so Jesus is bringing this radical, unexpected reversal of roles. This is the kingdom of heaven that those who are deemed least likely those who would say, I'm so unworthy to be called a son or a daughter, I'm so unworthy of Jesus' grace and forgiveness, are the ones that Jesus calls to continue the kingdom. And we see that Jesus continually lifts up those whom society would deem unfit or unworthy or unqualified for the job, and Jesus gives to these people the gift, the um, joy of carrying out the gospel, right? Right? So the religious leaders aren't very happy because of this. And so we have these two groups of people from this passage. We have our characters, if you will. So the first son, he said he wouldn't go into the vineyard, but he eventually does. His words said one thing, but his actions proved That wasn't actually his heart posture, right? We talked about the kingdom thing as a heart posture, that um, it's about humility and obedience before the Lord. And so, as the son says, I'm not going to do that, eventually his actions proved that his heart posture was one of obedience, even though it might have been delayed obedience. And maybe I think a lot of us can think of times where we've related to this first brother we can think of a time that we said we weren't gonna do something, but then we decided that we are gonna do that thing, and it was such a blessing to somebody else. And you followed through, and it felt so good. Can you guys all think of a time that that happened? Nice. And so then, we have this second brother. That's great. Honestly, come on, give yourself some snaps. Like, you did the right thing, right? Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> Participation award over we? And so, maybe you can relate to the first brother. Um, And so then we have the second brother, and he said he would go work in the vineyard, but he doesn't. His words also said one thing, but his actions proved his heart posture as well. He said, I'll be obedient. I'll do the thing you've asked me to do. But his actions proved his disobedience, the shallowness of his words. And honestly, I know this one all too well. Um, For me, it's laundry. How many of you guys love doing laundry? Wow, we've got three of them, that's great. Um, I used to love doing laundry and now it just feels really boring to me. And so a lot of times I'll like halfway do the laundry, I'll like throw it in the washing machine, I'll dry it, I'll take it out. It's like sitting in a hamper in our room and then it just sits there. And it just sits there. And then Hunter's like, I don't have any socks or shorts. And I'm like, well, they're in the hamper. They're clean. You just got to find them, right? Um, And so it's my job to do the laundry. Hunter's job to do the dishes. Um, We kind of, we break things up. Don't worry. And so I know this one all too well with laundry. Um, It's also for me, I'm going to the gym today. Um, That one's a really tough one that I say and don't follow through with. Um, And those are my my two big ones, and it's great though, because I also kind of have like a built-in accountability. Like Hunter's like, hey babe, you said you were going to do this today. And I'm like, yeah, I did. (laughs) Um, Like maybe, yeah, maybe next week, maybe over this summer. Um, But how many of you can relate to me with this one, right? Maybe it's laundry, maybe it's dishes, maybe it's the gym. Um, you're gonna say, maybe it's procrastinating homework, homework, right? You're like, oh, I'll just do that later, it's fine. And then it gets to later, and it's the day to do, and you're like, oh shoot, I should have done that when I said I was gonna do that, because now I need a rush. Um, And so maybe it's dishes, you look at them, you say, oh, I'll just do that later, and later never happens. Um, but regardless of what it is, I think we can all relate to each brother one way or another, right? And so this is kind of the first group, the first son, the second son. And then there's the audience. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders here. And this is the second vineyard parable, and there was going to be one following. And so as Jesus is sharing this parable about the vineyard, the audience would have recognized this as it was a very common analogy um, in Isaiah chapter 5, talking about the vineyard and being God's chosen people. And then there's this turn in the analogy where God says that the people aren't being taken care of. The ones who are supposed to be caring for the people aren't doing that, and the people are suffering because of it. And so as Jesus is sharing this parable, the audience would have applied the same symb- symbolism from Isaiah to God's plan and care for his people. And as Jesus goes on, they would have been like, oh, he's talking about us, right? It'd be like, it's me, hi. Um, the problem is, any Taylor Swift fans in here? Yeah. Wow, okay, <laughs> tough crowd tonight, I know there's more Taylor Swift fans in here. Where's Cambria? She probably left. Um, but they would have said, like, wait, he's talking about us, we're the problem here, right? And so the fault of the chief priests and elders is not simply, like, simply inconsistency of their behavior, although that's one of them, but it was their failure to fulfill their God-given roles as leaders of Israel. Jesus is calling out these religious leaders for saying, I will do this thing, I will follow God, but not actually doing it, just like the second son in the parable. And God's people are in distress because of this. They're in distress because of this hypocrisy from who, those who are supposed to lead them. Jesus says, those you look down upon, those you hate, those you see as less than will be first in my kingdom. He says, they will take your place. He says, your empty words mean nothing if there's no action behind it, right? Sheesh. And so for me, in my story, the thing that I was lacking was also humility. I relate to these religious leaders, right? I like, had all of the outward things to check the boxes of, like, yes, I follow Jesus, I'm a good Christian, but I was lacking humility, and because of that, I wasn't allowing Jesus to transform my life. So when I was spending time in scripture, when I was praying, um, when I was, like, serving in the church, like, all those things are good things, except for that my heart posture was not one of humility. I was not willing to let the Lord transform my heart. I was unwilling also to be vulnerable with my community about my struggles. And so I related a lot to these Pharisees. I was like, oh, I, I remember that place, right? And so Jesus is telling the audience that action is a kingdom thing, that it takes humility to do that thing. Jesus called out the pride in the Pharisees, and he says the humble is lifted up, the proud is made low. Well. And so my question was, are my actions lining up with what I say I believe or what I say I do? If I say that I'm being transformed by the gospel and that Jesus is at the center of my life, why am I continuing to turn to this habitual sin? Why am I continuing to um, hold on to something that isn't a kingdom thing? So for me, it was pride and anger and masturbation. For some of you, it might be those things, it might be pride, it might also be um, sleeping with your partner, it might be gossiping about others, it might be holding on to bitterness and anger. I think it could also be apathy. I think that was also something in my life that I was like, once again, I was like, oh, I'm fine, I don't need transformation, I'm doing all right. It also might be idolizing yourself, right? Holding yourself at the center of your life and your world. And so as Jesus shares this parable, he's telling the audience that it's not just about what they say, it's not just about what they say they want to do or that they are doing, it's about what they actually do, right? Empty words are worthless, but it's about our actions. Those are what show who we are and what's actually happening in our hearts, right? And so we have these three characters, these, uh, yeah, these three characters in our story, these three groups of people, and the ones who said, the, said one thing, but their actions proved their devotion or lack thereof. And we have the religious leaders who kind of reflect that second side, saying, we're okay, at least we're not like the tax collectors and the prostitutes. But Jesus is like, no, they're actually the ones that are going to enter the kingdom ahead of you. So we see that action is a kingdom thing, that Jesus is like, it matters what you actually do. And so I think that as we think about that action is a kingdom thing, I think it can be really easy for us to kind of fall into, like, legalism with this, right? Of, like, oh, I have to make sure that, like, my behavior is modified so I look like a good Christian, right? Or I have to make sure that I'm doing all the right things, all of these things, but... I think that we need to answer the question, what does it mean that kingdom is an action thing, and also, what does it mean, or what does it not mean, right? What does it mean that kingdom is an action thing, and what does it not mean? And so I think it does mean that the kingdom of God is for those whose actions follow their words, right? Once again, the issue with the Pharisees was that they said one thing, but they didn't do it, and then they also expected others to do those things. That they weren't doing. They held everyone else to a higher standard, but it was all for show. Um, Gordon Fee, in his book, uh, Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God, says um, it's not about what gets us into the kingdom, um, but what helps the kingdom get into us right? It's not about what gets us into the kingdom, it's about what gets the kingdom into us. I think it's actually both. He might not say it's not about that. But I think it's both, right? Our actions flow out of the desires of our hearts. And so if our hearts are set on worldly things, that's what our actions will be. And so if my heart is set on things that please me the most, then my actions are going to be, sure, I can do this. What does it matter? right? Sure, I can cheat on this test, but what does it matter? Like, who does it actually hurt? It's not that big of a deal. Or no one's gonna know about it, right? Sure, I can, like, say that I'm gonna do this one thing, but I'm actually not gonna do it, because honestly, I just don't feel like it, right? But if our hearts are set on kingdom things, if we're feeding our mind and our soul kingdom things, our actions will then become kingdom things. And I think it's important to recognize that saying, I don't want to do this, but then actually doing it is so much better than saying, yes, I will do this or I am doing this, but never actually doing it. And so James 5 says that faith without works is dead. Right? James tells us that it's not enough to just believe, but he says even the demons do that, and they shudder at the mention of the name of Jesus, right? Even the demons believe in Jesus. So our faith must have action. He says in, um, in James one twenty two he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. And James tells us that if you only listen to the word and you don't do anything with it, you're doing yourself a disservice. He's like, you're missing the point. You're missing the beautiful transformation of Jesus. And the point is to hear the word and do it. In deceiving ourselves, we're lying to ourselves saying, it's okay. Do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever you want to, as long as you're happy, right? Right? That this is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about sacrificing our desires for the kingdom. It's living dead to ourselves and living alive in Christ, right? And I think that something that I missed, something that I wasn't like recognizing was that I believed that Jesus came to transform my life, right, I believe that relationship with Jesus brought about transformation, but I didn't realize that there had to be something to transform, right? If Jesus, he, in our life brings transformation, then there has to be something to transform. And I wasn't willing to like check my heart, to check my actions and say, oh yeah, I do need Jesus to transform this still. And so if it's only about what we believe, if it's not about our actions, then I think we're setting the bar entirely too low. And so action is a kingdom thing. It means that our actions follow our words. It means that we're allowing Jesus to do the transforming work. And so I think that it doesn't mean that it's by our works that we get into the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't mean that my actions get me into the kingdom, right? Scripture is very clear that it's by grace you've been saved, not of works that any man should boast, right? Paul tells us that in Ephesians, because I think that if it was by our works, we would come up short every single time. And so Paul says, it's by grace you've been saved, right? So that kind of feels, you're like, wait, is it my actions? Like, do my actions matter or is it by grace? Like, what is it here, right? What's the difference between the idea of grace through works and grace by faith with evidence of my works? I think that grace says that I can earn my way into the kingdom. If I just do enough, I can earn the favor of God. I've got this. And once again, kind of going back to my story, I probably wouldn't have said this, and if someone tried to point this out, I would have probably called them a liar, been like, you don't know who I am. (laughs) Uh, But I probably would have said that or my mindset, my heart posture, was that if I do enough for Jesus, if I serve him in different ways, if I spend time in scripture and prayer in the mornings, I can do whatever I want to, right? If I can just do enough, I can earn the favor of God, and I can do whatever I want to, whatever makes me happy. But thankfully, like, that wasn't the end. Like, that wasn't what Jesus had for me. He had more transformation for my heart. So, grace through works says that I can earn my way into the kingdom. But grace by faith with evidence of works says that I haven't earned my salvation. There's nothing I can do to earn it. But because of this grace offered freely through the sacrifice of Jesus, I am being transformed, right? I cannot stay the same. That what Jesus is doing in me is so much bigger than me that something has to change. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, puts it like this, For Paul, works follows faith as day follows night. And their source is the indwelling Holy Spirit working in the depths of our hearts. Good works are the inevitable fruit and an invisible evidence of a living faith in Jesus Christ and are the hallmark of all true believers. And this is what it means that our works flow out of the grace given to us. That our works are the evidence of our faith lived out in Christ. Right? One thing is the will or the emotion. That's the faith. Like, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. And the other is the action, right? The works. And I think that both are necessary in our relationship with Christ. C.S. Lewis says good works are the inevitable fruit and visible evidence of a living faith in Jesus Christ, right? So Paul, when he says that it's not by works, it's by grace you've been saved so that no man can boast. And then he's saying this is how you get into the kingdom, by grace. You can't earn your way into the kingdom. But then James, when he says um, it's, that faith without works is dead, he's saying this is how the kingdom gets into us, right? This is how the Holy Spirit transforms our life and we get to see that through our works. So as the kingdom gets into us, we begin to see these kingdom realities play out in our lives. Our desires begin to shift from our sinful nature to our kingdom nature. And as the kingdom gets into us, we become better image bearers, right? We, it, scripture tells us in Genesis that we were all created in the image of God, that humanity was created in the image of God. And so as we are called to be image bearers, when we live out the kingdom, when we, our desires become um, kingdom things, this is how we best bear God's image. So I was living under this understanding that I've made it into the kingdom, but the reality was that the kingdom hadn't yet made its way into my heart because of my pride, because of humi- my um, lack of humility. Right? The kingdom hadn't yet made its way into me, and so as I started to recognize, like, wait, there's there's something missing, right? Like these good works, these times with Jesus, that's just very legalistic, right? Of just like I'm doing this because it's what I'm supposed to just wasn't enough anymore. And eventually I was like, Jesus, like what needs to change? And he revealed different things to me. And he was like, I want to come and make this new. He's like, you can't do it on your own. And I was like, yeah, you're right, right? He said, I want to come and transform this in your life. And I feel like I'm still learning that, right? There's still things that Jesus is calling me to lay down. Um, And it's beautiful. I'm like, man, Jesus is the God of transformation. He wants to take our burdens. He wants to take our brokenness and make us new. And so, through a lot of prayer and discipline, I started to give up things that I used to do or act in. And it was only by the power of the Holy Spirit that I was able to give up these things, only by the power of the Holy Spirit that I was able to even recognize these things. And I started to see that the more time that I truly spent with Jesus, the more my actions lined up with what I said I believed. And so grace, it's not about grace. Sorry, it is about grace. What am I trying to say? It's not about our works, right? It's about the grace of Jesus. And as we live out our faith in the grace of Jesus, by the grace of Jesus, and we're being transformed, then our actions follow what transformation is happening in our lives, right? And so, I think another question that needs to be asked is how can my faith be proved through my actions, right? How do I actually do this thing without it becoming mundane or forced, right? How does it not how is it not a legalistic thing for me to try to make my actions about what I say I do? great question. Um, Dick Brogdon in his book, live dead, the journey, great devotional. He says, discipline leads to desire, which matures into delight. Discipline leads to desire, which matures into delight. And so I think that discipline helps us desire kingdom things. As we become disciplined in spiritual practices, denying our flesh, denying our sinful nature, we start to desire kingdom things, right? And as we see in Scripture in uh, Philippians, Paul tells us that these are things that are lovely and good and pure, things that are right and true. He's like, think on these things because these are kingdom things, And as we desire these things, as we spend time studying these things, and we start to desire these things and things of this nature, we begin to delight in Jesus. We delight in these kingdom things, and we delight in doing the kingdom things, right? The kingdom things that we've been talking about this semester that is growing in Christ, right? Living for eternity, having childlike dependence on Jesus, submitting to each other in love, posturing our hearts in humility and obedience before the Lord, acting on our faith, right? Having grace for each other and for ourselves because Jesus gives us so much grace. As we delight in kingdom things, as we spend time and discipline doing kingdom things, will start to delight in them so much more. Richard Foster has this great book called Celebration of Disciplines. I would highly recommend it. If any of you guys are looking for like a summer read, um, this would be a great book. It's, it was very challenging, and I was like, man, I, I definitely need to be a little more disciplined. Um, but it was so, so good, so transformative. And so Richard Foster says in his book, he says, God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means of receiving his grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us, right? And so as we start to live disciplined lives in Jesus, as we start to take on spiritual disciplines like praying, like studying, like meditating on scripture... Disciplines like sitting in silence and solitude with the Lord. I don't know about you guys, but that was a discipline that I truly had to grow in, right? Like sitting still was not very easy for me for a while. That was a, yeah, the Lord had to do a lot of transformation there, right? Disciplines, outward disciplines, like celebration, right? All of these different disciplines Richard talks about in his book. But as we live these lives, it allows us to become more and more transformed by Christ, Discipline leads to desire, and desire matures into delight. And I think that at some point, you are almost going to have to, like, kind of check a box of, like, okay, I want to commit to doing this thing, and so I am going to have to have structure, right? I'm going to have to say, okay, this is, like, almost like a... Yeah, almost like a checking the box, like writing it down in your planner and saying, okay, if I don't have a regular abiding time and I want to commit to this, at some point you are going to have to write it in your planner and kind of check the box and say, okay, did that today. But then as you do that, as you create that discipline in your life, that will lead to a more natural desire, right? A more natural desire to spend time with Jesus, a desire to do the kingdom things. And as we desire these things, that will mature into delight in doing the kingdom things. And so as we kind of turn into a time of um, response and reflection, what is Jesus speaking to you right now? right? As we've talked about these kingdom things being action, right? As we've talked about um, delight and desire in the kingdom things, what is Jesus speaking to you right now? So we're going to take a few minutes just to um, respond to that, right? I think the next question is, what is keeping you from living out your faith in Christ, from allowing the thi- the kingdom to get into you, right? Like, what is in the way? Is it pride, like it was for me, like it was for the Pharisees? Is it apathy of, like, I really, I'm, like, really okay. I don't feel like I need Jesus. Maybe it's anger. Maybe you've been angry with, um... Maybe a spiritual leader or a family member, and that's just getting in the way of you fully living out kingdom things. Maybe it's distrust. Maybe you're like, I don't know if I can truly trust that God is who he says he is, that God is good, that God is faithful, and that he is kind. Right? What is keeping us from living out our faith in Christ? And then the last question is, what spiritual discipline do you need to start doing to help you live out what you profess, to help you live out this profession of faith? What spiritual discipline do you need in your life right now? Right? And so as I um, already mentioned, but I'll do it for the sake of remembrance, um, maybe it's spending more time in prayer. Maybe it's having a devotional life, like spending time just with Jesus which includes prayer, right? Maybe it's meditation on scripture. Maybe it's celebration. Maybe you're like, man, I, I do kind of have like a hard time celebrating things. I, tr- I always see kind of the negative outcome of this. Like maybe it would be celebration. Maybe it would be silence and solitude. Whatever the Lord is speaking to you about right now. I encourage you guys just to sit with that for a few minutes. If you have a journal, feel free to just kind of write down like, Lord, what are you, maybe you're not sure what he's speaking. Maybe in these few minutes you would just be with Jesus and ask him, Lord, what would you have me to do? How would you have me live out the kingdom thing? How would you have me act on these kingdom things? So we're going to take a few moments um, just to ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal these things. And we're going to just lay those at the feet of Jesus. Say, Jesus, tonight is the night that I'm deciding that I am done holding on to this anger, this pride, this bitterness, this distrust, whatever it might be. So we'll just take a few minutes just to respond to that, just to ask the Holy Spirit what he would have us to do. so as we continue in this posture of response, um, we'll just, I would love for everybody to stand and um, kind of if you feel like you, yeah, everyone just kind of like spread out a little bit. Don't go like all the way to the other side of the room. I'm like, this room is big. I can't see anything over there. Um, but if you, um, as we continue responding, um, feel free to kind of like come to the aisle, come a little bit to even this side in this little response area. Come to the front if you would like to. Um, But I encourage you guys, as the Lord has laid things on all of our hearts, I'm sure that he has, right? Because once again, there is like sanctification, transformation is a process. And I believe that the Lord is doing that in each and every one of us, right? Um, And so, yeah, as the Lord has put things on our hearts, I would love for us to just pray for one another. And so as we continue in this time of response, I encourage you guys, if there is something that the Lord has laid on the, on your hearts, as there is something that the Lord has laid on your heart, would you turn to your neighbor or to the person that you came with maybe and just ask for prayer? Ask for prayer for um, maybe boldness to do the kingdom thing. Ask for prayer for strength to be able to give up the thing that the Lord might have asked you to give up. Ask for um, discipline, like prayer for discipline, right? To live out the kingdom things, to have these spiritual disciplines, right? Whatever it might be that the Lord was putting in your heart, let's pray for each other because prayer is so powerful, right? We cannot do any of these things by our own strength. And so as we rely on the strength of Jesus, let's pray for the needs in our community. And so we're going to take a few minutes to pray, and then we're going to sing one last song, um, just thanking Jesus for all that he's done, thanking him for his transforming work. And so, yeah, let's pray for each other.